0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: I guess the whistle is being blown since it is the beginning of the NBA season. For those, I hope everyone enjoyed that little basketball joke there, a little basketball humor. Huh? Huh? Whistle blown? Whistle blown? I liked it. I liked it. Uh, My name is Randy Zio, usually coming to you from the studio apartment in the swamps of New Jersey, but not today. On my way to the Big Apple, the big city. Yes, I'm Randy Zio, host uh, host and founder of BackSportsPage.com. And with me always, he is the one who has the force. He has the pen. He has the keyboard, he has the editing ability, he has the writing style, and he is the driver of the Millennium Falcon. That's right, it is my good buddy Bill Ingram. Bill, how the hell are you today?
0: Gotta pass the dice, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know, next week, since it's going to be Halloween week, we have to, I think instead of the whatever that music is you have coming in, we have to do Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare. (laughs) <laughs> that would be great we'll intro just, music for
1: or, or, and or then we'll of just course play whatever the, Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, and then as we get closer to December, we just go ahead and launch right into it's gotta be Star Wars every time. You can, you can do the main title theme, you can start with the Emperor, the uh Vader's March. Dun, 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 That'd be great. And then uh you could do the Dance of the Fates. You know, you can just go right through the hits all the way up to uh, to movie time,
1: and then and then afterwards we just play the Catina, the Catina song. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
0: <laughs> That'd be good outro music, right? Exit music. <laughs> well, I was about to say that
1: also. If you wanted to play something really, really, really scary for Halloween, you can play the uh, starting lineup song for whatever the Lakers use. Yeah. After the way they played the other night, it was a harsh.
0: They need a win. (laughs) (laughs) It was. Of course, uh, the Clippers are going to make a lot of people look like horror shows this season, as they did the Warriors right after the Lakers. So, yeah, that team, I tell you what, and Paul George isn't even playing yet.
1: (laughs) Does that crew like to play defense or what?
0: (laughs) That's that's what I got to say. Well, as so long they, as they none of them are the taking second. any, uh, as long as none of them are taking any diuretics, they should be fine. You know, they start taking <laughs> diuretics, eh, all bets are off.
1: I guess if, well, that only happens if you're a member of the Phoenix Suns. Uh, at this point in time, yeah, everything um, happens
0: to that team, <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> including
0: players for- throwing towels at their head coaches. What you mean? You don't do? Huh? That? What? I ah, mean, that, do hey, that. Uh, that was that was our perfect transition into today's topic. That was my Robert Ory threw the towel at Danny Ainge and then they traded him. And like, remember that was my nice segue. It was such a good segue. It was it was a very nice <sighs> segue it was wasted. I enjoyed it.
1: I enjoyed I enjoyed it greatly though.
0: <laughs> I tried to put the ball in your hands with the so game on the line and <laughs> And now we're moving on
1: to the topic. There's a show that I there's a I like, there's a show that I like to listen to usually, uh, and there's, a, there's a, a, a guy who pops up on every show just like Robert Ori pops up on every one of our shows, and he uses an expletive every single time he gets to his nickname, and uh, maybe we should start doing that, <laughs> Robert F. and Ori, because he finds a way to appear on every one of our shows that we do, so this week we just decided let's just do a show on Robert F. and Ori. So let's do it. It's been a so long Robert time Ori, coming.
0: We're just like, okay.
1: <laughs> real quick, before we jump into Robert Rory, Bill, let's real quickly plug the website. Let's, you, know, you can find us every single week uh, on BackSportsPage.com, at BackSportsPage on Twitter. We're on Facebook, and we're all over the place. If you want to listen to archives of the show, you can go to BackSportsPage.com, or you can go to Spotify or iTunes and all of your podcast outlets. But usually iTunes and Spotify are the best, too. So, with that being said, Robert Ori.
0: That was not a paid promotion. The, that,
1: was... that was not a paid promotion. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, not, definitely not a paid promotion. Big shot Bob. Big shot Rob. Uh, he is seventh all-time with most NBA championships. He has seven with three different teams, which is very impressive. The only team he played on that didn't have a, a championship was the Phoenix Suns. And you know you were down there, and you were down in Texas when he got his start in the NBA. So let let's dive into it. What was the impressions that you guys that you guys down in Houston got when Robert Ory came into the league back in 1993? Sorry, actually, 1993, well, I apologize.
0: Yeah, no. The Rockets were looking for someone to help uh, on the front line. They started. He was going to be a small forward originally in his career. Obviously, he evolved into a power forward after that. But they wanted someone who could shoot the three, which, because Akeem Olajuwon was the star of the team at the time, and he drew so many defenders, they needed someone who could consistently hit open threes, which <laughs> we don't need to even mention that with Robert Ory. But they also <laughs> wanted, you know, when he played for Alabama, uh, and they were, I might have been the greatest run in that school's history when Ori was on their basketball team, uh, but it was very impressive. And he proved that he could come up with big defensive stops, uh, exceptional uh, quick hands. He'd get the big steals, make the big blocks, get the big rebounds, and really just kind of did a little bit of everything. And that's what the Rockets were looking for when they drafted him. I think I remember a lot of discussion about his his length and his shot-blocking capabilities uh, were a huge draw. But I think, you know, when you're drafting somebody, you want to look at the whole picture, and that was – that was really Ori, not a go-to offensive player. In fact, the fact that he didn't evolve into that was said to be one of the reasons that the Rockets wound up wound up trading him. But uh, you know, when he was at Alabama, he set the, he won the uh, took the tie to three SEC tournament titles, uh, Sweet 16 twice, and set a School record for career block shots 282. And the idea of him playing next to Elijah one uh, at a time where defense ruled the league was what made the Rockets love him. And he, and he delivered on exactly that. I know he was,
1: I think he was definitely a steal at the 11th pick of that draft. Because you look at some of the guys that were picked in front of him who didn't even have a cup of coffee in the league, let alone have the same, some of the success that he had.
0: Yeah, and and hey, Robert Horry is the the consummate example of a player that you that is exceptional in the right situations with the right coach who understands his abilities, you know. Uh and when he didn't have that with Phoenix, it didn't work very well.
1: <laughs> uh, but all the other coaches
0: he played for recognized and Rudy T to start with recognized um what his strengths were and put that to work for their teams. And, of course, Phil Jackson and Greg Popovich were masters of doing that as well.
1: And it's funny. We're doing a whole show on him, and we're doing a whole show on a guy who, in his career average in the NBA, uh, basically seven points a game, 4.8 boards, uh, two assists. But that also, again, is also over a long longevity of a career. You know, he played in the NBA from 1992 to 2008, so that's oh, a lot. That's a long career. He was never going to be the guy who was going to put up 25 points a game, and if he did it, he wasn't doing it for a consistent amount of time.
0: Yeah, he would do it, but it would be like when he scored 21 points to help the Spurs win there. You know, like when they needed it most. Uh, you could put the ball in his hands. Normally, it was for one or two shots, but. The thing yeah. that made him stick around the league so long was the same thing that attracted him to the Rockets. He does everything, you know, defense, steals, rebounds, blocks, shots, not to mention the <laughs> you leave him in. I can think of two times where uh, once against Sacramento and once um, he was with the – I forget. Somebody was trying to drop the ball into Shaq and it got deflected. And it just lands perfectly in in Ori's hands at the three-point line. And he's like, oh, look what I got. Bam, three. Uh, But the one against Sacramento where I think it was Vlade Divac deflect, you know, kind of blocked the shot. And Ori's sort of jogging up to the top of the three-point line, kind of standing there. The ball, like, rolls to him. And you're like, well, that's the game. And he picks the ball up, drills the three game over. Just That kind of player is is something. It's why we have a conversation about him being in the Hall of Fame, given his his, uh, career stats, that unless you understand the context, it's absurd to think he would be there. But when you get the context, you're like, dude, seven championships? You had to play for the 1960 Boston Celtics with Bill Russell to have that many championships.
1: Well, the funny part was he almost didn't get championship number one, or sorry, championship number two, because in February 1994, yeah. him and Matt Bowler were almost traded to the Detroit Pistons for Sean, Sean Elliott. Elliott. The Elliott f- yeah. Sean Elliott failed the fifth because of his kidney problems, and the trade was rescinded. Horace Hor- asked that the trade uh, falling through probably saved his career, or stated that the trade, the trade failing uh, saved his career, went on to be a key member of the Rockets title team the second for the second year in a row. Let's talk about that team because you lose Otis Thorpe, who at that time mm-hmm. was a key, very key contributor to that first championship run. Absolutely. And when you, Dr. Duncan, I felt, yeah, I, I, now I don't know how you felt about this, but I felt when you traded him, when you traded Otis Thorpe to Portland in that Drexler deal, I'm wondering where their rebound and where their defense was going to come from besides Elijah. And they were the first ones who were sort of like, okay, well we have a small forward who can sort of play power forward, so let's put Ori over there. And he was able to hang. Remember this was a time where in the Western Conference playoffs you're playing Malone, Barkley. Barkley. <laughs> you know, Weber. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So you had a you had a bunch of guys there who were, you know that elite power forward spot that Ori had to go deal with. Yep. So I was I was a little concerned with that with that move moving Thorpe at that time.
0: The only concern I had about it it was momentary <clears throat> because I knew that Drexler and Elijah Wan were best friends from college and putting those two together would solve a lot of problems that trading Otis Thorpe didn't create. <laughs> like you're solving more problems than you're creating because we did know Ori was a tremendous blush, shot blocker. We knew he could rebound. You know. Uh, and so when you're talking about the guys that were around him with Kenny Smith and Drexler and you had a and uh, I think Mario Ellie was on the team by then. You had a lot of guys who could knock down open threes, Matt Bullard. and uh, so really what you, offense wasn't the question. The question was rebounding and defense. And yeah, it was one of the great defensive teams to win a championship. you know the, uh, the Rockets were uh, under Rudy T. the Rockets were an elite defensive team. For a long time and very tough to score against.
1: Do you put... Again, Scotty Pippen was such an elite player in that league as far as all the little things he did. He can score, he can rebound, he can play defense. I felt like Robert Ory was something similar to that because he was able to... He was like a chameleon. He can sort of fit in wherever you needed him to fit in when he, when he was in Houston. Do you, did you feel that way about Orry? Like I felt like Ori spent a little bit more time working his offensive game a little bit more. I think he could have been Pippen-esque. Is that, is that a fair assumption?
0: I get where you're going, and I can agree to a certain extent. The problem I have with Pippen is once he left Chicago, he was not somebody you really wanted on your team. In Portland, uh, he famously shot the Blazers out of the, out of the Western Conference Finals with a fourth quarter that looked like they, the Lakers were paying him to shoot every time he caught the ball, wherever he caught the ball. And he was like, I don't remember the number, but he was like one for 15 or something. And, that, and the Blazers were clearly going to win the game until Pippen stepped in and handed it to the Lakers. And in the, uh, when he got to Houston, this guy did nothing but criticize Hakeem Olajuwon uh, and criticize his work ethic and talk about how it should be his team uh, Pippen thing—it should be Pippen's team—and really rubbed. I think you'd be you'd be hard pressed to find a Rockets fan who would tell you that Scottie Pippen was a great player <laughs> anywhere he went, because when he got to Houston, he stunk it up both on and off.
1: Well, when he his last year or two in Chicago, he was battling injuries galore, and even missed you know even struggled to get through the '98 finals with Michael. <laughs> Michael. Michael, yeah. uh, I think, wasn't Pippen, like, missing majority of that game six
0: <laughs> at that point in time? Well, was, yeah. I mean, what you got to realize is there are some players who play with a great player who look really good doing it. And Pippen, uh, for his part, he was a great complement to Michael Jordan. His skill set completely you know, was exactly what they needed next to Michael Jordan. And you sometimes you see that where a player is just amazing in one situation and not in another. But Ori was he brought it all through his career to every team except Phoenix, and that was a short stint. But he was an elite player, college, elite. Rockets win two championships with him. He wins championships with the Lakers. He wins championships with the Spurs where his stats don't stand out unless you were watching the series to where he's really a critical part of all those championships. Once Pippen was separated from Jordan, he really wasn't. I mean, he was an okay player, you know, but he was not uh, someone who was going to really help you win when it mattered most.
1: Why were why were the why were the Rockets so anxious to get rid of Ori? What do you think in '94? Do you think, was did they see something else in Sean Elliott that they uh, felt like Ory wasn't able to bring to the table?
0: More offense. They wanted more offense. They wanted perimeter offense. Uh, they eventually got it with Drexler, but they wanted a guy who, I mean, at that time Sean Elliott was one of the top, you know, small forwards in the league. So if you had if you had Otis Thorpe and Olajuwon on the block, it would have created a, a ton of open looks for Sean Elliott had he passed the physical. And I think, I mean, I think he would have been great. I, I could argue that he, they might have won two championships with uh, Sean Elliott, <laughs> you know, um, because Sean Elliott was a huge, you know, created a lot of offense. So, you know, I, and that's what it was. That's all it was. It was, we've got Ori, who's sort of a big guy, and he doesn't he doesn't take a lot of shots he doesn't he doesn't want the ball he's not going to be you know a third big threat like the Rockets were looking for but uh, when it fell through obviously then it, it created the opportunity the following year where um, they got Drexler and Drexler gave them that for their second championship so that was just it I remember at the time they were talking about you know Ori just doesn't uh, he doesn't shoot enough. He's not. He's not hungry on the offensive end. You know, they kind of thought they thought of that as a as a weakness. You know, but uh, as it turned out, he was. He never did. He never did develop into that player. Not for Rudy T. Not for uh, Greg Popovich. Not for Phil Jackson. But they had to realize that that wasn't going to be his role. You know, the Rockets. It was early enough in his what career that they really thought he would what? develop into that.
1: What did you think when he ended up in Phoenix? What did you think about that? Was, was, did you feel he was, he was a good fit for that team?
0: I was so pissed off at the Rockets putting Charles Barkley on the team that I <laughs> – I mean, I hated that trade. I hated it with a passion because Charles Barkley was the biggest ball hog in the league. He, All he did was stand around with – they eventually created a rule to change to, so that you couldn't do this. But all Barkley did was stand around in the post, they'd feed him the ball, and he would dribble and dribble and dribble and back his opponent down, back his opponent down for 23 and a half seconds and then shoot. It was horrible to watch. And then his mouth was, i to this day, I mean, people apparently love Charles Barkley. When I listen to him speak, I'm like, this is the biggest idiot, well, Magic Johnson's worse on radio. But Barkley, like, you're putting a microphone in his face because he's stupid. His analysis is bad. I loved when he told Shaq the only reason he won a championship in Miami was because Dwayne Wade carried his fat ass up and down the court. Remember that that on TNT? And Shaq got right in his face with his – he had his MVP ring on from that finals with Miami he's like, I was finals MVP. Google it. <laughs> and I thought, yep. I, I never had any use for Barkley. I, and I thought he wasn't a great fit. Uh, and as I got to know Akeem later, and he kind of opened up about this to me, I said, I hated that. And he said, yeah, me too, because Barkley's t- trying to tell me where to go. And it's like, that's my team. Where? <laughs> oh, get out of the paint. Go stand on the other side so I can dribble the ball. Like, no, that's not Rockets offense. And it didn't work at all.
1: What? How did Rudy T. feel about Robidori?
0: I think Rudy loved him uh, You know that team The team that won the guys that were there for both Championships were like Children <laughs> to Rudy T. You know that that group Was so close and Carol Dawson who was Rudy's assistant and then uh, Wound up being promoted to general manager Later that group Was really special I think Teams that win a championship have to be special. To win more than one, you got to be family. And that's what that situation was for them. That group was extremely tight-knit. And Ori was a big part of that.
1: When he was in Phoenix, the time he was there, it was not there for a long time. He obviously made no. <laughs> the rounds, went, ended up in a couple other spots. He ended up in Phoenix for the one season, for the 96-97 season. Uh... I believe that's when Jason Kidd arrived there as well. It was either 96-97 or 97-98, Jason arrived in Phoenix. Um, you said, we, we we joked earlier about on how Robert threw a towel at Danny Ainge. Obviously, there was not a lot, a lot <laughs> of love lost, and obviously he was not going to sign with the Celtics to be on that super team at that point to hit big yeah. shots for them. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I guess the question with Phoenix is, for a long time, guys like Jason Kidd and Steve Nash made Phoenix a destination spot, a place you'd almost want to play because of them. You know, you play with Steve Nash, your your stats are going to go up. You play with Jason Kidd, your stats are going to go up. Why do you think that Robert maybe didn't want to stay there and he ended up with the Lakers? Obviously, playing with Shaq and playing with Kobe, you're you're, (laughs) – You're putting yourself in a great situation, but why did for he sure. think in that situation? Why didn't he want to stick it stick it out in Phoenix? And, and was it because of age?
0: I think so. I, you know, and I, it's not something I've had a chance to talk to him about, um, so I don't I don't want to speak for him on that. On as far as what he was thinking about it, but clearly when you're when you're not on the same page with your coach. And you're talking about a guy in Robert Ori. I mean, Danny Ainge roved a lot of people the wrong way. <laughs> but uh, you know, Orr is a very laid-back guy. In fact, his laid-backness is what got him traded from Houston, I think. Uh, but you know, when you're a laid-back guy and somebody gets under you, It takes a lot. So whatever it was, and I don't remember. I, remember. I was watching the game where he threw the towel at Ainge, but it, it was 19 uh-huh. And I... Uh, seven thousand times since then. I don't remember. But but I know that uh you know Ori was was built to fill a particular role and clearly Ainge wanted him to fill a different role and Ori didn't wasn't interested in doing that. So he he let Ainge know it in no uncertain terms. And hey Ainge didn't last as a head coach in the NBA. You know, he went up Enough. to the front office in Boston. Uh so it wasn't just Ori who had problems. and I think I wonder if this will be the fate of Jeff Hornacek, too, another great player for Phoenix who didn't resonate as a head coach.
1: Yeah, well, you know, and it's funny. When he went over to Phoenix, he was heavily criticized in Houston for not taking enough shots and felt that he uh, prompted the Houston Houston to trade in him after joining the Suns. Ori had an on court altercation with Danny Ainge, during which Power Ori threw a towel at Ainge, which led to the trade <laughs> – Trade yeah, he uh, traded, traded him to the Lakers on January 10, 1997 for Cedric Sabalos. Now, if you don't know who Cedric Sabalos is, go on your Google machine, and he <laughs> is a former slam dunk champion, and that is his yeah. claim to fame in the NBA. No, which is not a bad claim to fame. There's only been how many slam dunk champions. So, you know, you have to, uh, you have to, be, have to be able to do something right in this league to become a slam dunk champion. I guess that's just slam dunk but he wasn't,
0: the I mean, Sabalos was not a Kenny Skywalker who was nobody who won a dunk contest and then was nobody again. Sabalos was a very good contributing player in the league for, for quite a while. But uh, yeah, yeah well, obviously the Lakers were looking for some of that Robert Ori mojo and boy, did they get it. Well, it's funny
1: too, because let's, let's take 30 seconds because I don't know when we're ever going to talk about Cedric Sabalos again. Uh, he doesn't want enough information <laughs> to have his own episode. Uh, you know, look, Cedric. You know, it's funny that this trade happened because the Lakers, Lakers moved him back to Phoenix where he started his career, and won his NBA slammed dunk contest, and uh, Cedric was again one of those guys, a tweener on the forward on the forward line. He can play small forward, power forward. He was he had that ability. It's just when another one of those guys in the NBA. The NBA lifestyle sort of took him over. And it sort of stinks yeah. that way when you really think about it. But um, you know, I, it's just one of those things where I wish the ballers would have been able to been able to live up to that expectation level.
0: Yeah, a lot of guys. I mean, it's not an easy life. You know, it's not an easy game, and it's not an easy life. And when you look at the guys who are able to do it for 16 years, 20 years, you know, Dirk Nowitzki, who was incredible for the vast majority of his career to be able to put up with the physical pounding and the, the weariness, um, you know, it's funny 2K NBA 2K has different retired players, Chris Weber and Kobe and Kevin Garnett, depending on where they're playing, they'll have former players. And, and you hear this a lot in their commentary is that, uh, you know, they missed the game. But they don't miss the travel, all the practices, all you know, all the stuff that goes along with it. Uh, they miss the game. They they'd love to be out playing it, but they just couldn't do. It. And some players even say, "Hey, I'm tired it was not 'cause it wasn't the game. It was the other 60, 70 percent of what goes into being an NBA player. A very small part of an NBA player's life is happening on the court, you know, during 48 minutes." the vast majority of what goes into just being in that situation, fans don't see very often. And that's what wears on players uh, as much as the physical toll that the game itself takes on them. Well, his time with the
1: Lakers was one that was uh, Robert Ory that is. Robert Ory's time with the Lakers was one of, of interest because he never really got that opportunity to be the starter. You know, he got there. He was playing. He was, he was there. He was playing a bunch behind a bunch of different different guys. In the um, mm-hmm. in the 99-2000 season, he was behind AC Green, but you know he got some more minutes. Yep. Horace Grant just never seemed to get those minutes. So no, and then Tamaki Walker. Yeah, and Smoki Walker as well. I'm, I'm just going through the list here of all the different guys. He was he ended up getting more minutes than a lot of those guys on different occasions. But still you just watch it. You're like why just why not start the guy. I know he you want to have a guy who can spark you off the bench and you know Phil loved him. Phil Jackson absolutely loved Robert Orey, but uh I know for yeah. a fact that the, the divorce between him and the Lakers was one of those one of those ugly ones. He's like I get me away from this drama with Shaq and Kobe. Yeah. Well, yeah, cuz that was, was nasty. Yeah. uh
0: You hear about it, people know there was a feud, and you see it still, to this day, bubble up on Twitter or in broadcast. Uh, They still don't have much use for each other. Um, But for the other players who were involved, yeah, that, that created a toxic environment. And other players were being used as pawns, where Kobe was telling them not to give the ball to Shaq and... You know, all this stuff was going on. And it got in the way of winning basketball games, you know. And Ori was all about winning basketball games. He had won everywhere he'd ever been, the Phoenix, asterisk. Um, And so I think (laughs) Ori, again, being a laid-back, no no BS kind of guy, that just had to grate on him, you know. And, of course, then you land in San Antonio, where there is no drama, and if you start creating it, your ass is in a different uniform tomorrow. Like, Pop did not tolerate any of that, which I think is why uh, Ori was able to flourish in, on his last stop in the NBA.
1: Well, while he was in Los Angeles, uh, obviously big shots, and one of, the, one of the biggest was against Sacramento. Sacramento was on its way to take a 3 uh, 1 lead in that series, or actually close out the series. Was that was that game six? That the, that he uh that Lori hit the big shot against Sacramento?
0: The one where it was blocked Vlade blocked it and it just sort of the ball just kind of ambled out. Uh let me see. I remember that was let's see, It was Game four. May twenty sixth, two thousand two, Western Conference game four. Kings led 99-97 okay. with 11.8 seconds. Kobe attempted a shot, missed. Shaq attempted a pull a pullback, and Vlade knocked the ball away. And then as the clock ran out, <laughs> Robert Ory pulled up. Uh, and they won <laughs> On Game 5. Yeah. And I remember <laughs> right, watching won that. Game four. I,
1: remember wa- and I remember watching Game 4, and I'm sitting there going to myself, you're seeing it happening in slow motion. You're just like, no!
0: Yeah. Absolutely. The moment, the moment he picked up the – you saw it. I think from the moment Vlade deflected it – I was watching that game too. From the moment he deflected it and you saw sort of the direction the ball was traveling and you saw who was standing at the top of the three-point arc, it just was like, yeah, I know exactly what's about to happen.
1: <laughs> well, it's funny too. You, you, you know, during the NBA Finals that year against the Nets, he started all four games. Uh, against New Jersey. But what's was very interesting, too, about that series against Sacramento, that, listen, I'm going to go back and just sort of play what if here. If this, this, this would have happened, wouldn't it have been interesting if the Lakers would have lost that series? The Lakers would have lost that series and it would have been the Sacramento Kings in 0 1 2. That team was Bibby, Tasia, Weber.
0: Yeah.
1: was uh, a Doug great Christie, team. That team ended up in the finals against
0: Jason Kidd and that Nets team. Yeah, I think they win. They have a counter for everything New Jersey has.
1: Yeah. I'm never looking at that going, I'm like, as a Nets fan at that point, I was sitting there saying, I don't want to play the Lakers. I think we match up better against Sacramento. I just think because there's two teams that have never been there before, and I just think it would have been, it just would have been too good to pass up and then as soon as I saw the Lakers won, I'm sitting there saying, oh, God, you just don't have an answer for Shaq." And, and, and then yeah. <laughs> Kobe, and then you're, you're, uh, and you're like, you don't you don't fear the rest of the guys as much.
0: No. So you don't. Only Houston had Shaq. an answer for Shaq. That was yeah. And, the only guy in the league who could stop Shaq was was Elajuan. You know. Yeah. And once Elajuan retired, nobody. I mean, Shaq was. I mean, he was the diesel. He steamrolled everybody.
1: Yeah, and, and well deserved too. Like, I, and this is where I I hate on Shaq a little bit, and we'll dive more into this when we do our Shaq show because we are going to do a Shaq show. There is no ifs ands buts about that. We'll look back at the career of yeah. Steel and Neal. But my biggest thing was Shaq gets a lot of love and a lot of praise in a time frame when he was in his prime, where he didn't have anybody to really match him to push him.
0: Yeah. So, no, for so sure, it was to not. Too. This was right after the retirements of all the great sinners at the time where the sinner had ruled, and now all of a sudden Shaq, after Akeem and David Robinson, you know, those guys, and Ewing all retired, and then here's Shaq coming into his prime at just the right time.
1: Yeah, and, and by the way, good for him for doing it that way. <laughs> Like, yeah. He didn't choose from going <laughs> right? to go into his prime at a time. Yeah. All right. When's the best time for me to come into my prime? Let's do this. Okay. Robinson's on his way out. Elijah's on his way out. Ewing is a shell of him former self. Brad doherty has been out of the game for a while. All right. We're good. We're good. We'll be... I'll start Mark Eaton. <laughs> yeah. Mark Eaton. Oh God. There's a name from the past. Huh? Mark Eaton. Yeah. listen.
0: If, hey, if you was, can say Mark dominant.
1: Eaton, if you can say Mark Eaton, I can say
0: Rick Smith Oh, for sure. Yeah, Rick Smiths, of course. That was, if Rick Smits had played when Shaq was playing, you know, if his prime had come a, a generation later, he would be, you know. <laughs> you had some guys who were very, very good centers that just got beaten up night after night by the elite. The greatest uh, crop of centers to ever play in the NBA was that that time period. Olajuwon Robinson, Ewing, Eaton, Doherty, that that group. Uh, it was incredible. I loved watching that. That that was when the NBA was its most interesting to me. Was when the big men were battling it out in the paint. Yeah, every single
1: every single night. You know, that's just the way that's the way it was at that point in time. And it was and it made it fun. Like you, th- today I feel like there's too many guys who can do the same things, and that's one of the reasons why I, when James Harden got traded to the Rockets, I I, had, I understood what the Thunder were doing because they had to pay one. They had to pay either Serge Ibaka yeah. or James Harden. And there's plenty of guys in the league or coming into the league can do that, what Harden was doing at that time. There wasn't enough guys For out sure. there who were like Ibaka who can block shots, rebound, and do all the things Ibaka was doing at the time. So I is Ibaka's no very much problem. like a,
0: a Robert Ory type of player, you know? Because yeah, he, he can, can shoot, shoot from three. anywhere, great defender, you know, like kind of a utility player.
1: And I'll tell you right now, Toronto doesn't win that championship last year without Ibaka on that team.
0: No, absolutely not.
1: <laughs> so, so that's, that's yeah, another case. And that's another guy who, again, came from that Oklahoma City core group of Ibaka, Harden, Westbrook, and Durant. You know, that's now three out of the four of them have championship rings. And now it's on Westbrook. And can Westbrook sacrifice enough in Houston to get there, I, I think that they're missing a big. Yeah, I don't have enough faith in Capella yet to say that they're no. going to be a, uh, a dominant. I think they need they needed to make a move to get another serviceable big in there. They could use a Lopez
0: right now. Yeah, and Tyson Chandler though. Hey, full credit. He played very well in their first game. But that's, that's not the answer. <laughs> if Tyson Chandler no, has to play no, that many minutes, he's going to be done by midseason. <laughs> but no, you're right. And, oh, and we don't call him Russell Westbrook anymore. We call him Teenage Mutant Ninja Beetle. Tracy Graven's <laughs> article today, when you take a really – I was trying to figure out what Westbrook's hair is doing. This is off topic. What is his hair doing? I don't know. And then I read Tracy Graven's article uh, today, the daily rundown that he's doing for Back Sports Page, uh, which I've tweeted out. If you want to find it, it's real easy. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Beetle. I was like, that, that okay, yep, uh, okay, that, that's as good a description as any.
1: <laughs> I love it. I absolutely, I absolutely love that. But this, and like, I was, I was watching him last night in the tail end against that game against Milwaukee, and you're just sitting there going. Because I hadn't seen his hair up until that point, I'm like, "What is that?
0: What? Yeah. that that's horrible." That's, that's somebody. Horrible. Somebody. Like, if, I, if I don't know if he lost a bet, or <laughs> no, no, it wasn't as bad as. The, as uh... Yeah,
1: if you're gonna like, if you're gonna do dreads, grow that hair out Is that, that what that is? Like, I think is that's that dreads? Is that
0: what? Oh,
1: yeah. It's supposed <laughs> okay. To be dredge. I think it threw I his game like, off. Is
0: uh, Either that or I think Harden was so distracted by Westbrook's hair that he just struggled. He couldn't find his shot at all. He's like,
1: dude, what's up with your hair?
0: I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Robert um, Rory would never have done his hair like yeah. that. See how I brought us back? See? Yeah,
1: that's
0: See? A good, nice Matched segue. I like I
1: <laughs> in, in, in the 2003 playoffs, the Lakers were attempting to win their fourth straight championship, but in game five, of the Western conference semifinals uh, against Spurs, against the Spurs, Ori's chance for another game winner rattled out with five seconds left. Uh, I bet you a dollar. He wishes he did that the season before, and he probably would have gotten it in, Uh he went over yeah. 18 on three pointers <laughs> in that series and Lakers were eliminated in six games. If you would have hit two of them, they would have gone on to the NBA finals that year. Uh Right In 2003, following the 2002-2003 season, Ori became a free agent, setting concerns over her family, all who live in Houston. Ori signed with San Antonio during yeah. the 02-03 season. And Lakers uh, a, a divorce, divorce uh, heavily on Ori. And,
0: yeah, he went through a divorce in 02, and they had kids. and Yeah, understandably, wanted to be closer to home. Yeah, he, wanted, he definitely
1: wanted to be closer to home. And he meshed with Greg Popovich, as you discussed earlier, like it was no one's business and um, went on to win the two thousand five NBA finals. Ori played a significant part every single time there was five seconds left within one basket, Pop just threw him on the court and just said, Do what you do and that was it.
0: Yep. <laughs> and he
1: did. <laughs> <laughs> during the two thousand seven NBA playoffs, Ori hip checked Phoenix Suns blank Steve Nash, which resulted in a flagrant foul on Ori during the ensuing uh promotion Roger Bell was his Accepted a technical foul for charging at Ori. Ori was ejected from the game and suspended for Games 5 and 6. Amari on and Boris Diao, who left the vicinity of the bench, were issued a suspension for Game 5. The Spurs won in the two ensuing games, subsequently moved on to the NBA Finals, where they swept the Cleveland Cavaliers and won their fourth straight championship. He began wearing number 25 again after the 06-07 season. After the 07-08 season, Ori became a free agent but went unsigned, marking his last professional season. So let's yeah switch to five when he Robert. got to
0: LA because Gail Gail Goodrich uh, had worn number twenty five and it was retired. So yeah, he had the opportunity to switch back. So so let's put a little
1: bit of a bow here on Robert Orr, where we can discuss some more of the modern because he's a, he's he's a decorated character in the NBA story with seven championships. But as far as making a significant dent, meaning that. I think what he did is he, he was one of the first two-way forwards in the in the nineties. He was the first yeah. one who sort of I felt that sort of made the adjustment from being a small forward to a power forward.
0: And I think he was. He one may of the have first been the transition model. Well. Yeah, you know this. I'll you're talking about a guy who's very much like uh, Kevin Durant, similar kind of obviously Durant, an, an offensive juggernaut, but uh, similar body type. The LeBron style of play. Uh, this is the evolution of where Robert Horry sort of began it, and I think you're right um, because he could very easily hold down both positions, and that was at a time where that was not common. You know, now you have positionless basketball where people can just play you know all over the court, and uh, there's, it's not as as uh, concrete as it used to be. But that was at a time where. You played your position, and you didn't play multiple positions very often. Well, yeah,
1: now now you have four guards and Draymond Green on the floor. That's, that's, that's the common <laughs> or, NBA. or
0: five power forwards, <laughs> as the Knicks do. <laughs> like, yeah, it's different. It's, it's un- or, really the, or, or the modern is, NBA. Yeah. yeah. The modern NBA is unrecognizable, The the game, the style of play. Um, is unrecognizable to those of us who grew up cutting our teeth on 80s and 90s NBA. Uh, and it hasn't been that slow of a progression either. The, the uh, Derek Harper rule that eliminated perimeter defense, uh, the Carls Barkley rule that eliminated backing your opponent down and scoring, the reducing the uh, distance of the three-point line, all those things led to they – were, they were clearly – David Stern clearly had an agenda, and his agenda was to make it more of an offensive game that favored the player with the ball. And when you look at 20 years, let's see, the Derek Harper rule came up to the 94. So 20 – yeah, 25 years of changing the rules and changing the, you know, aspect of the game. It's, a totally, it's been transformed into a totally different game. Fans love it. That's great. It's hard for me to watch.
1: As far as Ori is concerned, you know, like we just said, his legacy is, is, a, is one of an enigma in that sense because you look back and you say, who's won in this, in this generation? Who's won the most NBA championships? And you say, Robert Ori. But then you look at the impact he has on his team, they were sort of minimal to a point. Like, yes, he hit big shots here and there. But as far as being any type of dominant player or being a guy, he really only had a garden for the last two minutes of the game. <laughs> I hate to say it like that. but it Yeah, was really and, well, and he really yeah. was
0: only going to shoot the last two minutes. I mean, <laughs> if he had the ball any other time, he was looking to pass, you know. <laughs> like, oh, it's not time yet. What, how much is left on the clock? Four minutes and 20. No, there's somebody else here. Let me give the ball. Yeah. But if you ask Popovich – if you ask Pop, Pop is like he's worth every dollar. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's yeah. what it's really about. You can, you know, you don't you've, – you've never seen this in the NBA where, where a player was a non-factor for 82 games and then in the playoffs was incredible. You, you've you never seen that. That's why people still talk about Robert Ori today because it's just unheard of. Uh, but you could have – you could go through 20 or 30 games where Ori was – you don't even remember did he play. You know, like was, was Ori out there? Oh, yeah, he had four points, you know. But if it was a tight situation or if he only had four points in a game, two or three or four of them came at the time that mattered most. And, you know, for a player to have that ability, that knack, even though it frustrated fans, you know, frustrated the Rockets, that you couldn't give him the ball in the second quarter and have him take it to the hole and, you know. But, (laughs) you know, but if you needed a game-winner, very, very consistently, <laughs> whether it was a yeah. a big defensive play, big shot made, uh, he was the guy, you know, and, and as long as you have, as the Spurs did, as the Lakers did, uh, as the Rockets did, as long as you have a couple of other stars on the team who will create the offense for the rest of the game, it's great to have that guy. Like, oh, they're doubling Akeem, they're trapping Drexler. Or he's wide open. <laughs> you know, they're they're trapping Shaq. They're crowding Kobe. Corey's got the ball. And in San Antonio, same thing. You know, that. <laughs> it's really something. It, it was really a spectacle to watch him in big moments. Do we say is Jordan esque when it comes to clutch?
1: We put him in that category because he didn't miss much when, it, when the game was on the line. He's a Jordan. He didn't miss much.
0: Yeah, well, I. Hmm hard to <laughs> – yeah, Jordan it's, brought it's, it for 48 minutes. You can really minutes. make an argument. <laughs> it's a little – but you could say when the game's on the line and you have a choice between Michael Jordan or Robert Ori, it's a tough choice. I mean, the first 47 minutes and 52 seconds of a game, you take Jordan every time. But the last few seconds? Yeah. Um, I mean, shoot. Ori just didn't miss. I mean, he just <laughs> – he delivered.
1: Yeah, it's fun. It's funny with Ori. You know, Ori would only play maybe 10 minutes in the game. And he'd play the last eight. And you see him yeah. sweating after the lock, in the locker room like he played the full 48. And he would talk like he, he played the full 48. So, so yeah, well, when there's that much pressure, basketball.
0: you sweat more, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think – that's, that's gonna be really I, I stupid do think though, that <laughs> when you – yeah. I do think <laughs> that when you – Ori highlights something about the NBA that is rare, Um, and that is what a great coach can do when they really understand their talent. And over the years, so many NBA coaches, how many really understood? You had championship teams where you had multiple stars. I mean, certainly the 1960s, I mean, they, they won 11 championships. You had the most dominant player in the league, Bill Russell. Uh, nobody could stop him except Wilt Chamberlain, and that wasn't consistent. But you have very few coaches over the years who understand the the capabilities of their players so well that they can utilize them in just the right way. And when you talk about Greg Popovich, I don't think any coach has ever done it better. Uh, I will give a nod to Rick Carlisle, who I got to know very well when he became the Mavericks head coach because uh, I would, t- he would talk about what he was working on with different players, basically reinventing players. Because remember, the the Mavs have never been a big free agent draw, so they've sort of gotten whoever was left at the end of free agency. And then Carlisle has to go, okay, uh, we're going to make the playoffs with this team, and here's how we're going to do. Like, Sean Marion, you're not a three-point run-and-gun player anymore. You're a post player. Someone who understands – the capabilities of their players and puts them in just the right place at just the right time. And Ori was that kind of player. When he played for a coach who got it, when he played for a coach that really <laughs> to a star level understood uh, you know, a, a doctorate level of, of understanding where to put who when, he thrived.
1: <laughs> well, I think Popovich is going to be the first episode we do on a on a coach. I think that's going to be the first one that we do. Maybe we'll do that next week. We will talk about that. But um, Bill, I, I don't think there's much else we can say about Big Shot Bob. So let's let's wrap this up. Where 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 everyone can find us. Let them know where they can find you, Bill.
0: Well, you can find me at backsportspage.com. However, I'm primarily serving as a as an advisor. I'm the head coach there, sort of. Randy's the GM. I'm the head coach. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at the Rocket Guy, where we will always be uh, promoting some of the the great work that our young team is doing at Back Sports Page, uh, and our grizzled veterans like Tracy Graven. Uh, and so check it out at the Rocket Guy on Twitter, and there you will find whether whether I'm writing, whether we're doing uh, the Hardwood Huddle, or whatever we're doing, you'll find it there. And uh, you can always find
1: me on Twitter and at Instagram at Randy us at for all of the magazine style features and uh we'll have maybe we'll use next week's show to break the uh, the news about some type of possible publication but once that news is broken we'll uh, we'll talk about that on the air so bill we'll we'll take Absolutely. a seven day seven we'll talk a, take a seven day break and we'll uh we'll do this again next week and we'll announce what the topic's going to be on our twitter probably on wednesday so you know Bill? Absolutely. We'll, we'll do this again next week. We'll do it next week. Sounds good. All right. Thanks again, folks. Don't forget to find the show on BackSportsPage.com. You can go to Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcast. That's where you are. But until then, my name is Randy Zillia. That's Bill Ingram. We'll catch you next week out right here on the hardwood huddle.
0: No,